Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Brawley, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org, or simply download the CCCIV app, you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977 how many of you had children that started school this week raise your hands okay how many of you had children that started school this week it was their first day of school ever i mean like they started kindergarten yeah that's an exciting time right I, I, uh, you can put your hands down. I saw Elias came into the office. Elias is Pastor Jose and Rachel's uh, little boy. He started kindergarten this year, right? And he had this little sack of marbles with him. <laughs> Any of you play marbles in school, yeah? Now, how many of you got in the worst fights of your life playing keeps for, for marbles, right? Nothing destroyed friendships like a game of marbles when I was a kid. Right, and that you know, you, when you play keeps, whoever wins the game of marble, you get to keep the other person's marble. Right, you never want to play with your best marble unless you're confident you're going to win. Right, so lots of lots of disagreements. Here's what I want you guys to consider just for a moment. I was looking at that bag of marbles, and I was looking at how excited he was to go to school, and I was thinking, man, I remember this one time when we had this game of keeps, and it erupted into the, you know, we disagreed on who won. No, you didn't touch my marble. You, that was a piece of grass, or you hit the rock, and it hit the marble, whatever it was, right? And it escalated to the point to where we're talking about each other's families, and then you get to the point to where you're bragging on your dad, you know, like, my dad could beat up your dad. You, you, you guys been there? Right? So here's, here's what I wanted to consider this morning, just for a moment, before we get into this text, is I want us to pause just for a moment. Two things. Remember who your daddy is today, Amen. spiritually speaking, Amen. right? Some of you might have some messed up fathers, <laughs> earthly fathers, but you have a heavenly daddy, Amen. and he's playing for keeps. Amen. Now, here's what I want you to consider. Keep your finger there uh, in Daniel chapter 11. R read with me. I want to remind you who your heavenly father is. Listen to this. This is in Psalm chapter 90. Read with me. This is a prayer of Moses, Psalm chapter 90, beginning of verse 1. It says this, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. Now listen to this, verse 4, listen to this. For a thousand years in your sight are but yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. That's who our Heavenly Father is. A thousand years in the future as though it was yesterday in the past. All that's happening in the world today, the Lord is not surprised by any of it. He is still on the throne. He understands. He's in control. And as we've read through the book of Daniel, I read this week when I was reading through the commentaries, 135 prophecies fulfilled in the first 35 verses of Daniel chapter 11. Now, I don't know, someone way smarter than me figured that out, okay? I'm just regurgitating that information to you. Put that in perspective just for a second. 
135 prophecies were fulfilled in the first 35 verses of Daniel chapter 11. That's how sure God's word is. That is the God that sits on the throne. That is the heavenly father that is playing for keeps for you, who knows the end from the beginning, who a thousand years in the future are is in yesterday's past for him. Now, if we can trust the Lord for that prophetic word, those 35 verses, uh, in those 35 verses, 135 prophecies to come to pass, if you can trust the Lord for those coming to pass, why can't we trust God for the future prophecies to come to pass? Why not? Is it too difficult for God to be able to tell us? See, here in the book of Daniel, between verse 35 and 36, there's a shift. We've been speaking up to this point in time about things that have happened in the past, right? It dealt with the period of roughly 400 and some years, and it went through the dynasties. And Pastor Walter kind of concluded that last week with uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, this guy who believed himself to be God, who went in and desecrated the temple and really had it, had it out for the Jewish people and persecuted the Jewish people. And he, he sought after them. And that there was this rebellion that was raised up. The Maccabeans came against him. And finally, they drove them out of the temple. They cleansed the temple, and they began to worship the Lord again, all right? So we have come to that point. But there's a break in time here between verse 35 and 36. And in beginning of verse 36, now we're not speaking of something that has happened in the past that has been fulfilled. Now we're going to begin speaking about something that is going to happen in the future that is yet to be fulfilled. Again, I ask you the question, if we can trust God for those first 35 verses and he brought all of those things to pass, we can trust God for what's going to happen and we're reading today in verse 36 through the end of chapter 12. Amen? So if you have your Bibles, that's going to read. We're going to read a little bit together here. And we'll take this and kind of tear it apart. Beginning in verse 36. The king shall do as he wills, or as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished. For what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the god of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god for he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the god of fortresses instead of these. A god whom his fathers did not know he shall honor with gold and silver and with precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest of fortresses with the help of a foreign god. Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. So we'll pause there and take this piece apart. What we're going to begin at looking, uh, looking at this morning, if you have your outlines, if you're following along at home, thank you for joining us. Take out that outline, follow along in the app. The first point I want to bring up here is we're going to look at the reign of the Antichrist. That is this future king that we're looking at. There's a gap of time again. Okay, there's a space there. We're going to start looking at what's going to happen during the reign of the Antichrist. And it, we're going to begin by looking at the rise of the Antichrist. That's what we see right here. If you remember, turn back maybe a page in your Bible to Daniel chapter 9. Pastor Walter shared on this a few weeks ago. There was the prophecy of the 70 weeks. And Daniel was told that there are 70 weeks that are decreed upon your people. Who would Daniel's people be? Would be the nation of Israel, would it not? 70 weeks or 77-year periods are determined upon the nation of Israel. 483 years of those, right, will, will transpire until the Messiah is cut off, until the Messiah is sacrificed upon a cross. At that point, there's a clock that stopped ticking. 
And there's a clock that will begin ticking once more in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. Read it with me. It says, and he shall make a strong covenant. This he is once again referring to the Antichrist, referring to the same king now that we began reading about in Daniel chapter 36. He, the Antichrist, shall make a strong covenant or a peace treaty with many for one week. And for a half of the week, he shall put an end to the sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of, of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decree is poured out on the desolator. There's a prophetic clock that stopped ticking the moment Jesus was sacrificed upon the cross. There were 490 years that God was going to deal with the nation of Israel. They rejected Jesus to the point of a, a sacrifice on the cross. At that moment, these years stopped counting. Now we're operating in the time of the Gentiles, this church age, this moment where God's spirit has been poured out on the church and we're preaching the gospel of Jesus, trying to bring people into the kingdom of God. But there's going to come a day when the church is removed. We call this the rapture. And there will be a peace treaty that the Antichrist will sign that will involve Israel and the surrounding nations. Once that peace treaty is signed, that clock begins to tick again. Seven years left of those 490. This is what we're waiting for. Now, before that peace treaty is signed, we believe that the church will have been raptured. So when you watch, this is why we're so, we're so into looking at things that are happening in the Middle East. Because Jesus said we might not know the day or the hour, but we should be prepared for the seasons. And you see these, these things aligning, these world powers aligning. You see what's happening with Russia and with Turkey and with Afghanistan and with all of these surrounding regions with Jordan and the United Arab Emirates and all of these peace deals that are being struck on the side, right? And you know, okay, this is getting really close. If that peace treaty is getting close to being signed, that means that the rapture is even closer than that peace treaty. Are you following me? That day that the church is taken up into the presence of the Lord. We're going to look at this in depth next week. I hope you come back next week. We're going to be looking at the rapture of the church in depth next week. But for the sake of time, right now we're looking at this king. Okay, this king, the clock will begin again when this, once this peace treaty is struck. In the scriptures, this man, the Antichrist, is referred to, you know, he's referred to as Antichrist. That word literally means not only someone that is in opposition to the things of Christ, it also means someone who is offering himself in the place or in substitute of Christ. And here's what my concern is for the church, is a lot of times we fall for this trap, okay? We would never worship the Antichrist if he came walking down the aisle and we knew it was him. We wouldn't give our allegiance to him. We wouldn't do that because we know that, is, that man is, in, is opposed to the things that I believe in. But how often do we fall for his ploys when we worship things that really are in the place of Christ? We have idols that we have in our heart, and we don't view those things as opposed to Christ, but they absolutely have taken the place of Christ in the throne of our hearts. And we worship our hobbies, and we worship our jobs, and we worship you know, our, our 401ks, and we worship our, our vacations, and we worship getting that new car. We worship so many things that are in the place of Christ. Jesus and Jesus alone deserves the throne of your heart. And if you are not worshiping Jesus as Lord of all, then you are following after Antichrist, someone who is offering you something in the place of Christ. Here's the thing, when it boils right down to it, Satan, he wants your worship, but he will settle for robbing Jesus of your worship. 
Does that make sense? Just for a second, just ponder that just for a moment. Satan absolutely wants you to worship him. But if he can't get you to worship him, he will settle for robbing Jesus of your worship by bringing something else that's shiny and, and, and distracts you. We fall to this day in and day out. He's known as Antichrist. He's known as the man of lawlessness who isn't, isn't really going to follow the law. And I'm not talking about the penal code in California. I'm talking about the law of God, God's law, right? He's a man of lawlessness, the son of perdition, the one that is destined to be destroyed. He's, he's known as the beast in the book of Revelation. You can read about this man throughout the, the, the scriptures, right? But here's what I want you to consider. Look at what it says about this man. And the king shall do as he wills. He's going to do, that word wills means whatever he pleases. He's going to follow after the pleasures of his heart. Once again, this is a way in which the Antichrist gets us and robs Jesus of our worship. Because how often do we follow after our own desires, the desires of our own heart? Right? We desire after those things that we selfishly covet and want to obtain. We follow after those things and we really shouldn't. And the scripture says this about it. It says that the spirit of the Antichrist, that spirit is, in the, is, is at work in the sons of disobedience even today. That, that spirit that follows after what it wants, that does whatever it pleases, if it feels good, do it. That humanistic spirit, that that is at work in the sons of disobedience, even today, even right now, even in this room, that spirit is at work in some of you. And you're following after things of the flesh, things that please the flesh, rather than following after those things that you know will please the Lord. Now, contrast this kind of lifestyle to the lifestyle of Jesus. What does Jesus do? He comes onto the scene and he says, I always do those things which please the Father. Oh, how I long to be able to say something like that. The disciples come to him in John chapter four and they're begging him, you need to eat. He's there at the, at the well, right? He's ministered to the woman at the well, begging him, please take something to eat. And he says, my food, my food is to do the will of the Father who sent me. I long to be able to say something like that. Jesus said this in John chapter 6, verse 38. He says, for I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. When Jesus was asked by the disciples, how should we pray? What did he instruct the disciples? He said, pray like this, pray this. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus put feet to his faith in the garden of Gethsemane when he's struggling with that cup of God's wrath. And he says, Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. But he says what? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. You will be able to see very clearly if you're following after that spirit of Antichrist, that spirit that is in the, at work in the sons of disobedience by your prayer life. There's a scripture that comes to mind. Listen to this scripture. This is in Psalm chapter 37, verse four. It'll be on your screen. The psalmist writes this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. There are two ways that people read this verse. Have you ever seen these pictures? Let me, let me pull up these pictures. There are two ways to look at this picture, right? Now, what do you see when you look at this picture? Raise your hand if you see some pillars in this picture. Raise your hand if that's what you see. Okay, a lot of you see pillars, okay. Raise your hand if you see the people in between the pillars. It's the silhouette of the people facing each other, right? It's the same picture, but we're looking at it from different perspectives. You can see that picture in two different ways. Check out this picture. Here's another one. Look at this. Okay, how many of you see a duck? Raise your hand if you see a duck. All right. Now, how many of you saw the rabbit? 
the ears, which is the beak, all right? Same picture, two different perspectives. Do you follow? Look at these next couple pictures. The one on the right is going to give you nightmares, right? I guess it would be your left. The one on the left is going to give you nightmares, right? That's, you see a skull, or do you see the woman looking at her reflection in the mirror, right? Same picture, two perspectives. The one on the right, you either see a young woman or you see an old woman, okay? Now, here's what I want to point out. There are two perspectives upon which you can read this verse, and it's going to tell you where your heart is at in seeking after the things that God wills in your life or if you're seeking after the pleasures of the flesh. Let's read it again. Psalm chapter 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Some people read that verse, and this is what they read. If I'm delighting myself in God, he's obligated to give me whatever I want. That's one way to read that. The second way to read that is when I'm delighting myself in God's presence, God will place in me the desires my heart should long after. Do you see the difference? It's the same exact verse, but you're reading it from different perspectives. Which perspective do you read that verse from? Do you read that verse from the perspective that I want my prayers to affect the heavens and to change God's mind? Or do you read that verse from the perspective that I want in my prayer life for that prayer time to be something that changes me, that heaven reaches down and touches my mind and my heart and my will becomes God's will, right? See, the spirit of the Antichrist says, I'm gonna do what I want. And there are a lot of you in this room and that's your spirit today. You're following after that false spirit, the spirit of Antichrist. Those in the room that say, I wanna do what God wills. That's the one that is pleasing to the Lord today. This king, he does what he wills. Look at the next portion. It says, he will exalt himself. Again, there's a contrast that you can see here in the life of Jesus and this Antichrist, right? Jesus came and he didn't try to exalt himself. Actually, throughout the scriptures, over and over and over again, he warns against exalting yourself. You realize that, right? There's a warning against exalting yourself. The scripture actually says this of the Antichrist. 2 Thessalonians says, this, this man who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. What do we do when we exalt ourselves? We take the throne from God. Again, warning after warning after warning in the scriptures about this. In Luke chapter 18, you can read this later, that Jesus looks at these men, these Pharisees, those who are trusting in their own religious works. And he tells them a parable. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, another a tax collector. And the Pharisee, he stood there praying, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men who are sinners and adulterers and robbed from your people. I thank you that I'm not even like this tax collector. And he would have just been pointing at this tax collector. And then it says, the scripture says, Jesus says, the tax collector stood off in a far distant corner and he's beating his breast. His, his, his face is just looking to the ground. He won't even raise his eyes to God. He's beating his breast and he just says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, that man left the temple justified by his prayer. Not the religious man who trusted in himself. And then there's a warning that is attached. Jesus says, be, be careful because the one who exalts himself will be humbled but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Which would you rather be? 
right? Jesus put it this way. Again, you can read this in Luke chapter 14. He tells this story when he goes to a Pharisee's home and he, he notices something. As people come in through the back door, they're jostling for the best seat around the table. They want to be close to the salsa, right? I mean, they want to get that best seat, those seats of honor, those seats where everyone looks up to them. And so Jesus said, he looks at them, he says, be careful. When you come to a wedding feast, when you come, don't try to find the best seat around the table. You take the lowest seat, the person who's going to get served the pozole last. You go back there and you wait. Why? Because if you take the best seat, there might be someone with more distinction or more honor that comes in. And you're going to be embarrassed when the, the master of the feast says, you need to take a lower seat because I invited this guy and he, he needs to have the seat of honor. He says, it'd be better for you to take the last seat and your pozole to be a little bit cold and be invited up closer to the head of the feast, right? That's what it's about. And then there's a warning that he puts at the end, again, to these religious leaders. He says, be careful because the one who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be lifted up by the Lord. I, I don't want to follow after the footsteps of Antichrist who's cast from heaven because he says, I can be God. Right? I want to be like Jesus, whom the scripture says in Philippians chapter 2, humbled himself. He emptied himself. He, the kenosis passage. He emptied himself of glory and humbled himself and became a servant. And even more than a servant, he became obedient to the point of death, even the death of a cross. He came as a servant and went to a cross to die. That's the humility. But then after that, it says, but he's given a name which is above every name and every knee will bow. See, he humbled himself upon the cross, but then God gave him his throne, right? That's the kind of life that I want to live. I wonder how you're living today. Whose footsteps are you following after? Who do you look more like? The king that is going to do as he wills? The king who's going to exalt himself? Or our king, the king of kings, who always does what the father wills, who always takes the lower seat, who humbles himself and allows God to lift him up, right? What does your life look like? Again, verse 36, and the king who shall do as he wills, he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every God and shall speak astonishing things against the God of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation. Now, this is a little bit telling. It should in inspire some awe within us because there is a wrath that is coming. And the scripture's clear in Revelation chapter 6 that in that moment when the Lamb of God pours out his wrath upon an unbelieving world, that there will be people who will run. They will try to find themselves in caves or hide themselves in caves and behind rocks to flee from the wrath of the Lamb. But this is what I want you to hear today. It doesn't have to be like that for you. That doesn't have to be your story. You don't have to run from the wrath of Jesus. Why? Because if you come to the cross of Christ, if you come to the cross of Calvary and you believe that what Jesus did on the cross, he did for you, then Jesus accepts the wrath of God in your place. He drinks that cup so you never have to experience the indignation. Amen. The scripture says this, that Jesus is the propitiation, the payment for our sins, but not only for our sins, but also the sins of the entire world. And that God made a way that if you will confess with your mouth, Romans chapter 10, if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You can be saved from the wrath that is to come. But here, do you see this? It says that the Antichrist, this king that is to come, he's going to prosper for a time. 
Life is gonna look good for him. He's gonna have a lot of people around. He's gonna have a lot of riches. He's gonna have a lot of power and influence, but it's only until the indignation comes. God is just, and his judgment is coming for each of us. The difference The difference is only going to be in whether or not you're found in Christ when he comes to judge. And if you're found in Christ, he will come to you and with all of your sin and with all of your baggage and with all of those evil, wicked thoughts and every word you ever spoke that you wish you could take back and every heart you ever broke and everything you ever did that you're ashamed of, that has happened in the secrets, those recesses of your heart, he, all of those things will be covered in Christ and he'll come to you and his wrath will pass over you. Because you know why? Because you know what? I've already judged Jesus for your sin. So I don't have to judge you. Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Raleigh, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org or simply download the cccib app you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977